to you today? You've been feel like you've been carrying a heavy burden. I don't know if it's actually in the story. Do you guys ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Did you ever read that one? Yeah, it's an old, you know, parable, if you will. And uh, I don't remember if it's in it or or just the picture of it, but the the guy has this huge backpack, this big, huge burden on him, and he comes and he actually then lays it down at the cross, you know. And uh, one of our jobs is not to carry the burden. Our job is to lay it down. And uh, if you're carrying something around and you feel like this all the time, I love you, but you're doing it wrong. You know, when he says, take my yoke upon you, that's like something that you put on an oxen to help accomplish a task, you know. That was the, 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 the picture that Jesus was giving. But he, he also wanted you to be sure that when you do that, when you come under his lordship, that the burden is light. It's not heavy. Amen? And I, I just feel like this morning there's a couple of you here that God wants you to know that he wants to, he doesn't want you to carry that, that burden. He doesn't want you doing that. And uh, so if, you, if you're carrying a burden you're not supposed to or you feel like you're carrying it more than you should, uh, stand to your feet. Go ahead and stand. I wanna, we want to take a second and just lay hands on you and pray for you. You feel like you're carrying something a little heavy. And uh, go ahead, stand up. All right. Hallelujah. All right. I knew I was feeling something this morning. <laughs> you know what, folks? That's the rest of us. I want you to come and stand around them. Everybody have at least one person. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to put your hands on their shoulders, and I want you to speak life into them. And re- release and, and life. I feel like, first of all, there just has to be a release. And that picture of Pilgrim's Progress and the and the big burden that he carried laid at the cross and then I, I've uh, had this other picture where after you lay it at the cross and you feel good, then when you get up to leave, you, you pick that burden back up and carry it back out the door. And I would just say to you today that God doesn't want you to pick that burden back up. He wants you to set it down and leave it here. It is not to be picked up again. It doesn't mean you don't love. It doesn't mean you're not concerned and all that stuff. But that, as you will, the heavy lifting is up to him. He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't need your help. In the worry and stress and fear department, he, he can handle all that. So right now, just release freedom into your friends right now. Lord, we just release freedom into these that are carrying these burdens. I ask, Lord God, even in a physical manifestation in bodies and hearts and minds, there would be a setting down of the burden, the, the heaviness and the, and the difficulty. God, we just set it down right now. We say, Lord, you are the supernatural one. You are the one that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond and above all we can ask or think or imagine. Those aren't empty words, God. They're true. So begin to move even now in these places, in these areas. I feel like there's a there's something to do with relationships. Some of you, it's about relationships you're having and it's really, uh, it just seems overwhelming. It's too much. And it's people you love and care about, but it's just this huge burden on you. Lord, we lay that down right now. Hallelujah. Others, I feel like there's some financial things going on as well. And God, for these financial burdens and these these things that just seem to be overwhelming, you are Jehovah Jireh, our provider, oh God. And we choose right now, this day, to trust you. We say yes to that. Just come into agreement with that. Whatever the burden is, Lord, we say yes to you. To what you're doing. In Jesus' name. All right. If you're a hugger, go ahead and lay a hug on him. <laughs> if not, just pat him on the back as you're, <laughs> as you're going. Hallelujah. You can sit down. You know, it's a funny thing. We uh, we were talking before service today uh, during worship practice and how somebody was mentioning, I've heard this a few times, how this kind of feels more like a house church than it does, you know, regular church, you know. And it's funny because for most people, you, you have a house church that turns into a bigger church. 
And we were a bigger church turning into a house church, you know. So it's like we're swimming upstream or whatever. But uh, how many of you know we can just trust God with whatever he's doing, amen? I don't know. I think it was a prayer this week. It was a prayer. I felt like God gave me this phrase, embrace the place. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily mean physically. That can mean that too. But, but it's more like embrace the place where God has you in life, where he has us in life. And I think that's not just corporately. I think that's individually, too. Because sometimes, don't you think we can kind of get wrapped up in that thing where we, we want to be somewhere else in life? Yeah. You know, a different, you know, different place or different things that are going on. And <laughs> I was telling these guys before, we were listening to Caleb yesterday, and I don't know the song or the guy. Maybe my daughters could probably tell me, but the song starts out. We're driving in. We had just experienced kind of a really rough stretch of some things happening in our family. And I was taking the two girls up to Kenosha Beach to run around in the water again. And there were waves. <laughs> and uh, we're driving up there. We listen to this Kalo song comes on, and, it, and the guy says this. He says, some, not exact, but to, the basic words were this. This last year has felt like four seasons of winter. <laughs> That's that's pretty deep, you know. Like, like, and sometimes in life it could feel like, okay, it's winter, and then the next season is winter again, and then the next season, you know, like sometimes it just it seems like. But you know what? If we embrace the place, how many God knows God has some things He wants us to learn, but you know, but then also, I, I don't know that He's just this teacher, but how many of you know He's a He's more concerned about you than anything around you. Do you know what I mean? So if we embrace the place, what we're really saying is, I'm embracing you, God. I don't know what you're doing. This whole thing seems like it just doesn't make sense at all. Last night uh, at the beach, girls were swimming. I'm kind of sitting there playing fetch with the dog. and, And we're just kind of having a fun old time. And all of a sudden we get this phone call, Sam calls and says mama has fallen down uh she tripped and fell and it and it looked like she had broken her elbow and she had twisted an ankle and they were going to the emergency room and so you know we're kind of running through this whole thing and now then we got to the hospital and you know we're just sitting there and the first thought is when all this bad stuff starts to happen you sit there and go like and especially if a couple of bad things happen in a row you know don't you ever start to go really god <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's interesting, as we've been through just different, maybe seasons of winter, if you will, as, we, as we've done that, it feels like, like I had so much freedom and peace last night, I can't even tell you. I'm like, okay. See, when you have winter and then winter and then winter, sometimes it feels like that, you, you learn how to snowshoe. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like you pick up skills that you didn't have before. And I think sometimes that's really the point. God was trying to grow something. And I feel like God is growing something in me that, you know, whatever happens, we're going to roll with it. So Jody was almost thoroughly convinced that she had broken something because it felt like it was kind of rubbing and grating, like bone on bone kind of thing, you know. She was in like a 10 out of 1 to 10 pain. And right before she was going to get an x-ray, I just felt like God said pray over her. So I laid my hand on her leg, and I just we just prayed, Lord, healing, restore things, restore mm-hmm. bones, whatever it is. And, uh, I mean, she was in an IV. I mean, it was like they were, they were prepping her for surgery, basically. They were like, this was going to have to be a big deal. She goes in, has the x-rays done, comes back, and, you know, they say it'll be 30 minutes. What they really mean is an hour and 30 minutes. <laughs> so we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. It's like 9 o'clock at night. Finally, the doctor comes in. And she says, you know, there's not a there's not a crack. There's not a broke. There, there's nothing broken. There's absolutely nothing wrong physically with your elbow other than it's sore from where you fell down. And I'm sitting there going, I'm pretty sure God healed her when I prayed over her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't have t- neck proof, but... I know this, what seemed to be bone-on-bone grading wasn't there anymore, and, and, and she was able to walk out of the hospital, and we didn't have surgery or nothing. And, 
But you know what? I guess all I'm saying to that is because I've learned to handle some of these things that I'm learning, I just felt like there was a piece there that no matter what happened, God was going to God was going to handle it. I didn't have to carry that burden. That's on Him. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You guys, you hear what I'm saying? And I just want to encourage you with that. It has absolutely nothing to do with what we're preaching today, what we're teaching. <laughs> As they say, bonus thing. But I just felt like God wanted to do that. And I feel like if you're, if you're in that place, you can trust Him. Amen? That's good. Anybody have anything you want to add to that? Or Yeah, okay. Well, you know, back in the day when they would do the oxen with the yoke, they would take the young one and put it next to the older, bigger one. And so the little, the littler oxen had the yoke on, but wasn't really carrying any of the weight. And that was so the older one would train the younger one how to go through and to walk through the fields and so forth. And I think that's um, what the Lord wants to do with us today is he'll carry that burden and he'll carry that weight and we're just supposed to follow along next to him and he's going to take us down those roads of blessing. Our trouble comes when we want to pull out of the yoke and then we start getting all tangled up in our own feet and can't figure out what the problem is. So, That's really good. It's really good. You know, it's so funny because this is really simple. It's really simple. Isn't the Christian life simple? Mm-hmm. Trust God. Have faith. But how many of you know just because something is simple doesn't make it easy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like learning how to have faith and learning how to trust, that actually takes some effort, doesn't it? And it makes some really hard choices. Like for those of you that are struggling right now or maybe going through some stuff, to choose to trust God, that actually takes work. Mm-hmm. So, do you agree? How I many of you agree with that statement? And uh, I, I feel like, but it's okay. How I many of you know hard work is, is good? <laughs> but it's hard. So I told you I've been walking a lot, you know, like with my trying to get the heart back and doing the whole thing. So at least two or three times a week, I take this long walk on the trail. So... A while back, I saw this guy. About every half mile, there's a there's a bench for people to sit and rest and whatever. And I saw this guy lean on the thing and start to do push-ups. I saw him doing push-ups off this bench, you know, like his feet back and then on the back of it, you know. And all of a sudden, I felt like Holy Spirit said, "I want you to do that." Mm, okay, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so every half mile, I do 25 push-ups. Well, you know, I went four miles yesterday, so (laughs) I ended up with almost 200 push-ups, right? So how many of you know, by the time I got done to the end of the push-ups, you know, by the end of my walk, I wasn't just tired with my legs, I was (laughs) was tired with my my arms, too. But you know what I thought? I thought, you know, to get strong, it takes work. you got to put something into it. And if we, the Bible talks about building our faith and having, you know, like we talked about faith of a mustard seed and some of that stuff. And, you know, Jesus even commended people for having great faith. How, how do you have great faith? Anybody? How do you develop great faith? Trust. What? Trust. Yeah. And how do you do trust? By believing that his word is true and that he will do what he said that he will do. Sure. In every situation, right? And so it's the it's the little things and the, the big things. And, you know, think about, we, we have times of worship, right? Worship really shouldn't be something we do on Sunday morning. It should be who we are, right? So when the Bible says something like pray without ceasing, what do you think, what do you, what, what do you think that means? See, for me, I think it's we could change the word almost and say faith without ceasing. You know, faith without ceasing. Like every single thing that comes up in my life, I make it a prayer. Say, God, I, I trust you with this. Hey, God, I'm going to chill on this. You got it. I don't have to worry about it. Because if you don't tell your brain what to think, the enemy will. 
Have you found that to be true? <laughs> Anybody get these thoughts in your head that you know aren't really good or true, but they start rattling around in there? Mm -hmm. You have to purposely do something about that, amen? And so we do. We say, Lord, I'm going to pray without ceasing. I'm going to worship without ceasing. I'm going to faith without ceasing. I'm going to take every single opportunity to say yes to you. And it, it takes work. It's like doing push-ups every half mile. <laughs> you got to stop and, okay, Lord, you know what I'm <laughs> It just takes a little bit of work. It's weird. I feel like that's good. Good. All right. How many of you guys want to get back to, to John chapter 3? Anybody want to go there? John chapter 3. Uh, some of you were here last week. We began talking about, we've been talking about following Jesus and what it means the call of a disciple, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And, uh, of course, we've talked about this a little bit. A disciple uh, a disciple is something that we don't use the word a lot nowadays. It doesn't have this full of meaning as it used to have. But basically, you would turn your life over to someone else to teach you everything they knew. And you followed them, you trusted them. They would provide for you, you know, in every way. And Jesus had called these guys to him, and they started following him. And uh, it's been a fun journey. We talked about, you know, the calling of the disciples a few weeks back, and, you know, leave your nets and follow him kind of thing. And then we talked about him, Jesus, showing the disciples about, you know, when he turned the water into wine, and he kind of shook up the wedding. That was crazy, and that was fun. Then he goes down to the temple for Passover, and he starts kicking people's butt with <laughs> with whips and knocking over tables and stuff. I mean, it was just crazy. So that has been fun. And then immediately following that, in John chapter 3, there is a, a Pharisee, uh, a man who is really high up in the religion, uh, the Jewish religion. Uh, he's like a politician, like a senator type of you know position. But he's also a teacher. He's also like a, like a priest in the Catholic Church, like a high up priest. So this man with great power... Also, with a great hunger to understand what is happening in his culture. So Jesus is coming to town. He's throwing everything around the temple, and people are starting to do miracles. People are starting to come around. And here's a man that all a good portion of his friends, other religious leaders, are rejecting Jesus and who he is. But this man, Nicodemus, has a great hunger to learn. So last week we talked a little bit about how Nicodemus says, you are a man from God. Nobody can do miracles unless they come from God. So this guy's conflicted. The God stuff is supposed to come through me and my friends, but here you show up and you're doing God stuff. So Nicodemus is like, eh. So we find this guy, Nicodemus, he sneaks into the house where Jesus is staying late at night, and he wants to have a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. And so last week we talked a little bit about it. You can read uh, verses 1 through 13. Uh, to part of that story. But here's the thing I want to take out of Nicodemus from last week and make sure that we bring it into today, and that is this. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again or have a rebirth experience. Nicodemus doesn't understand. Jesus goes on to say some things about, uh, he takes the natural and the kingdom stuff, and he says, to understand the kingdom, here are some natural things like wind blowing, the spirit blows, and he says, it's like the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. But you can definitely feel it, right? And Nicodemus is listening to Jesus. But how many of you know when you're, <laughs> when you're in a certain mindset and somebody brings an alternative truth or an alternative statement, you know, uh, it's called a paradigm. All of us have a paradigm of how we view life and look at life, right? So an example would be something like this. If you are, uh, let's say, a uh, conservative, pol politically speaking, let's say you're a conservative, and you believe this way. I mean, this is actually a big thing in our culture, isn't it? You have people that believe a certain way, and then you have people that believe the opposite. So let, let's take it even further. Let's take it to the extreme. Have you heard about what's happening in Portland? Did you guys watch the news at all? So Portland has kind of become this just crazy battle place and there's a group called antifa are you familiar with antifa mm -hmm. they're an ultra kind of left wing 
but they they use like violence. They they beat up people and and they're, they're just very. It's like a violent group. Okay, so they're ultra left, and then there was some ultra right people that said, "Hey, we're going to have a protest in Portland," <laughs> and the left people are going to have a protest on the right. So you can imagine like this clash of cultures came together in Portland, and I, I think I heard they arrested like a bunch of people, and there was all kind of craziness and whatever. But you see. Antifa's paradigm thinks this way. Then the ultra-right-wing people, their paradigm thinks this way. And it's hard to embrace thoughts outside your paradigm unless you make a purposeful choice to do so. Would you agree? In our culture, unfortunately, it's becoming very divisive in our country and people don't really want to listen to the other side too much. Right? And so it's interesting with Nicodemus... He's got a paradigm. It's very Jewish. It's very old covenant. And Jesus now is coming in and he's beginning to teach his disciples and he's beginning to teach people and show them what it's going to be like to be under a new covenant. He hasn't quite thrown it all out, but he's beginning to get the steps. So the ideas of the new covenant are coming into a clash of culture with Nicodemus's paradigm, if you will, and his way of thinking of how this should be. And we're actually going to find this quite a bit as we go through John. Jesus is going to say things, and people are going to go, what? What's he talking about? We saw it two weeks ago, didn't we? Jesus says he's clearing out the temple, and he's beating people with a whip, and he's kicking over tables. And he says what? The Pharisees, this same group that Nicodemus is a part of, some of these Pharisees come over and they said, under what authority are you doing all this? Are you kicking over tables and cleaning the thing out? And he says what? Destroy this temple. No, he says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. Now, he says that truth. He's speaking about himself and his body. But how did they interpret that? Their response was, what is it? It literally. Literally. And what did they say? Anybody remember? The Pharisees? 46, right? 46 years it took us to build this temple, and you're going to tear it down and build it in three days? How many of you know that their paradigm, they weren't able to accept this thought or this comment that was coming from this crazy man? Right? See, I think following Jesus, one of the most important things we can do is like that question we asked right now. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because this thought that you're bringing to my mind right now, it's it's counterculture. <laughs> it's counter my paradigm. I don't really get it. How many of you know, like, okay, I'm seeing this come together for us now. How many of you know that in our paradigm as human beings, it's way easier to worry about something than to let it go? Would you agree? So I see what God is doing now. Do you see where this is going? Like, our paradigm and our way of thinking is worry, 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 and I, you know, Okay, how many of you, in all honesty, at one point this week, you woke up in the night to maybe use the restroom or get a drink of water, and all of a sudden, the devil, boom, brought this thought of worry about some situation into your head, and you had a hard time going back to sleep. Raise your hand if that happened to you this week. Look around you, right? It happens a lot. Why? Because the enemy knows our paradigm. He knows our culture. He knows our way of thinking. And he will do everything in his power to keep you in that. Right? If we're going to talk old and new covenant. He wants to keep you in the new covenant. I mean, in the old covenant. Old ways of thinking. And Jesus is coming in with these thoughts. So here's a, here's a suggestion. Again, it was in one of the podcasts I listened to this week. And the guy, I think it was Bill Johnson, actually. He said, he says, actually it was. He was telling about how normally he's pretty good at being peaceful with God at night and doesn't worry. But for some reason, last week or the week before, he woke up and he started worrying. He started worrying about something, couldn't go back to sleep. He was up for hours. And God kind of walked him through it and taught him a lesson. Because normally what Bill would do was when he starts to worry, he starts to worship. So... They have this phrase out at Bethel that they use. I've heard it several times. Maybe you've heard it too. It says this. Worry is to the devil what worship is to God. So when we worship God, 
I mean, you know that's a good thing. But we start to worry and be anxious. I mean, that's why the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through what? Giving thanks, praise, worship, making your requests known to God, right? Here's the thing. If you wake up in the night this week and you're worried about something, start actively worshiping God. I think you might see a change. See, our old paradigm, our old network, our old uh, way of thinking needs some new ideas. Because how many of you know worrying isn't going to get you anywhere? Did it solve your problem this week? <laughs> I'm guessing no. But how many of you know that in an instant, God can not only fix you, he can fix the problem, right? So Nicodemus. It's cool, though. I will say this about Nicodemus. He really does want to know. So Jesus starts laying all this new thoughts on his old paradigm. <laughs> and Nicodemus just, he says, I don't understand. How can this be, he says, right? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't quite get it, but you get the feeling he's still trying to figure it out, right? And it's, I mentioned this last week, but we actually see Nicodemus two other times mentioned in the book of John. And the, the last one being when they take him off the cross and he's helping get the body into the tomb where Jesus is then going to you know, rise from the dead. So we see him really embracing this. And so the encouragement that I have from that is this. We may not get everything right now, but as we mentioned last week, keep your mustard seed in the, in the fight. <laughs> in other words, take what little faith we have and just keep applying it. Wake up at night, God, I don't get it. I don't, I'm not going to be stressed. Lord, I worship you. I give you praise. I give you all the honor. I'm going to trust you with such and such situation. I'm going to trust you with, you know, this person or these finances or this thing at work or whatever. And, and that's where we say, Lord, let my faith, you know, pray without ceasing, faith without ceasing. Just keep throwing it. Just keep doing it. So Nicodemus is trying to understand. He's not quite getting it, but I get encouraged by that because we may not. How many of you get everything the first time? <laughs> right? So Lord, help us to just maintain that faith. We're just going to keep trusting you, keep putting our mustard seed back in the fight and saying, Lord, I trust you. I have faith in you. Hallelujah. So let's pick up the story in verse 14. Uh, so Jesus has been talking to Nicodemus about all this stuff. He gets to verse 14. And Nicodemus is really, he doesn't know how to be born again. He doesn't know what that means. And, and Jesus is saying, look, you've got to be born by, by, by word and by the spirit and by the word. And you have to, <laughs> you know, you, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thing like the wind that blows and the spirit and the whole thing. Nicodemus isn't quite getting it. So then Jesus moves into a different picture. How many of you know that? So, like, if you're talking to someone and they don't get one picture, you, you shift gears and go to another picture, right? Teaching. What? Teaching, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's smart. I mean, Kathy, you know, she was a teacher a long time. You know, if, if one thing isn't really working, what do you do, right? You shift gears. And I almost feel like Jesus does that right here. Like, okay, Nicodemus isn't getting the wind, spirit, <laughs> word thing. Okay, so then he says this in verse 14. And just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a snake on a pole for all the people to see and be healed, so the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up, so that those who truly believe in him will not perish, but give eternal life. Now this is a story that a guy like Nicodemus can understand. Why? It's an Old Testament, it's an Old Testament story. And I'm telling you right now, he probably has the story memorized. Like these guys memorized everything. And they knew, man, he knew the Old Covenant. He knew, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the Pentateuch. That's the first five, all written by Moses. And Moses is a big deal to the Jewish people. And uh, so, anybody, how many of you are familiar with the story? Raise your hand. Okay. Good. Somebody just tell us a story. Any idea what has happened? Paula, you could probably do this because you guys were hanging out there for a while in women's Bible study. Do you remember the story? Yeah, they, they were disobedient in... Uh, the children of Israel right. as a nation. Okay. And uh, 
the snakes were sent and they were all dying. And it was uh, Aaron that got that and went and stood between those dying and the other people. And under the instruction of, uh, I'm not sure of God or Moses, mm -hmm. but anyway, they lifted up this replica of the snake. And if they looked on the snake, they would live and survive the plague that had come upon them. And if they didn't, they died. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting story. It's in Numbers 21. If you want to write that down and go read it later, you can. But it's an interesting story because the people have sinned greatly. They've, they've, they're complaining and they're, they're, they're really being kind of antagonistic toward God and his provision. God says, fine. And he sends a bunch of snakes. And I don't think he still works that way. But maybe that's why I have that <clears throat> hatred of snakes. Maybe that's that in the garden. I mean, come on. I mean, <laughs> but God says to Moses, he says, listen, I need you to, I'm going to make a bronze replica of a snake and put it on a pole and raise it up. And anybody that looks on it is going to be saved. Now, that's a story that Nicodemus can wrap his brain around. And Jesus used it as a step, doesn't he? He says, and just as, meaning similar to or very much likely, Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of a snake on a pole for all the people to see and be healed. So, see how he's, he's saying, this is what you're familiar with. Now this is the new thing that I'm about to tell you. So, the Son of Man, now Jesus has used this about himself, so that he's referring to himself. The Son of Man is his, one of his titles while he's on earth. So Nicodemus is now picking it up from the side. Okay, I get what he's saying. The Son of Man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in him will not perish but be given eternal life. Now, how many of you know, okay, it's hard for us to, uh, uh, it's hard for us to unknow something. Would you agree? <laughs> like, if we start talking about Bible stories, a lot of you, already jumped to the end. But how many of you know that Jesus hasn't been crucified yet? <laughs> He's still talking. So nobody, and even up till the very end, his disciples didn't really get what he was doing, you know. So nobody knows exactly what's going to happen except Jesus. There's a verse, I'm going to just jump around here a little bit if you don't mind. There's a verse in Revelation and it's in Revelation, uh, let's see. Here we go. Revelation 13, 8. Reads different in all different versions, but the basic idea is this. It's talking about people that haven't accepted Christ are going to bow down and worship the Antichrist, etc., etc. Except, except all those who, no, it says all those whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. So in other words, if your name is not in the book, then you're going to be worshiping the devil, basically, at some point in the future, if not now. Okay, but he says this, the Lamb's Book of Life, and so many of you are familiar with this, but we'll just, for the sake of, of making sure we're all on the same page, there's this Lamb's Book of Life is mentioned a couple of, two, three different times, or in Book of Life, and it basically is this, if someone gives their life to Christ, and they turn their control over, and they accept his love and forgiveness, and they are born again, rebirthed, then their name is written in this book of life. In other words, if you don't have your name written in the book of life, you're going to have death. That part of it is simple. But it's interesting. He says this, something about having your name written in the Lamb's book of life. And then he says this, the Lamb of the Lamb's book of life, which is Jesus, it says, who was slain from the creation of the world. What do you think that means? Anybody? He was slain from the creation of the world. Any ideas? Yeah, Paula. It was God's plan from the beginning that he sent the Savior. Yeah. It wasn't plan B. It was plan B. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that interesting? Like, you know, there are times where... Uh, there are times, I think, where Jesus is walking this earth. Not there are times. Jesus was a man on a mission. He knew why he was on earth. 
the plan for the salvation of mankind was actually discussed at the creation of the world. Right? That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like, God knew that mankind was going to sin. They were going to fall. People were going to need a Savior. And they factored that in and they had a plan from the creation of the world. Right? So it's interesting. As Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's talking about this story uh, of what happened at the beginning of the children of Israel, before Israel even became a nation at this point, God already knew. How many of you know that God knew the lifting up of the bronze snake was going to be imagery for Jesus on the cross? It was already in the plan. And Jesus is simply trying to unfold. One of the things I feel very, greatly encouraged, and I want to encourage you today, is this. God has a plan. He knows what he's doing. How many times do we feel at times like, like we have to tell God and, and, and remind him, <laughs> or tell him what, what the best plan is for our lives, you know? Like sometimes we're like, oh, come on, can't you do this, 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 and this? We, we should really stop doing that. We should stop doing that. If God knew, and the Father and Son had a plan before the creation of the world, of how things were going to work out and what was going to happen, how many of you know that the things of our life are no mystery to him? The only mystery of our lives is our responsibility. In other words, the mystery of, what are you doing, God? I don't know, but I'm going to trust you. At some point in our Christian walk, we have to come to grips with the mystery of saying, God, I, I don't know. Willie, if you mind, I'm just going to... Willie's selling his house. And you had it sold, right? Mostly cold. And then now it didn't get sold. So, what? A couple weeks from closing. Now that deal is off the table, and now he needs a, a new buyer. So Willie could be anxious. He could be worried. He could be like, come on, God, you, we had it sold. What are you doing? And get kind of critical or angry or whatever. Or he has the opportunity to say, you know what, Lord? I don't know why you delayed this, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. The timing, I'm going to trust you with the, the price. I'm going to trust you with, you know, like the things that don't turn out the way. That's the mystery, isn't it? Saying, God, I don't know. But I know this. You knew from the dawn of time. And you knew when the children of Israel were in the wilderness <laughs> about the bronze snake being lifted up. And you knew that I was going to be having this conversation with Nicodemus. And he would understand the lifting up just like the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. Isn't that interesting? Nobody knew what he was talking about. But when it happened, how many of you know Nicodemus probably went like this? Oh, my word. He talked about this three years ago. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure when Jesus lifted up on the cross, he had that aha moment. Yeah, go ahead. To add to what he just said, I told my wife a few days ago that uh, the movie God is Not Dead 2, Pat Boone told his daughter in the movie when she was on trial for speaking about God in the school. Um, and she said to him, God seems to be so silent on me. Uh, and, and I'm going through this in the school. And, and, and Pat Boone said to her, uh, you know how it is. You're a teacher. Uh, when, it, when the students are going through their tests, the teacher is silent. Yeah. That's so funny. I just looked up that phrase this week, actually, on my computer. So God's kind of silent on me, but uh, yeah. he's going to try to test. So. Yeah. The one I was looking at was a little different. It said, when the, when, the, when the student or the pupil is ready, the teacher will appear. <laughs> like, in other words, the, 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 the timing is, is, is right. God knows what he's doing. He knows the perfect time. But all of it needs to be remembered in one concept. Con, uh, construct. And I think this is where God starts to create a new paradigm for the world, but starting with Nicodemus to understand. Okay. Nicodemus was raised and for the last several hundred years under laws and rules and regulations. That was the Jewish faith. Ten Commandments, you got to do this, 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 and this. Most world religions are still this to this day. We just 
we have Jody's new employer at her new job is Muslim. And they just, we talked about this last week a little bit, right? Where they had the, anyway, EID. I don't know. How, do you guys know how that, it's one of the two main holidays in Islam. One is Ramadan. The other one is Eid or Eid. Anyway, EID is the, how it's spelled. And they have to go and slay a lamb. They physically have to go. His 18-year-old son had to cut the, the goat's throat, right? And it's a big deal. See, one of the things I'm learning more and more is that a lot of religions, it's about doing things. It's about following the rules and the regulations, you know, Ramadan and with the Islamis, you know, they can't eat, they have to fast during the day and only after sunset and uh, all these things. A lot of Christianity, unfortunately, over the centuries has fallen into that as well. But the Jewish faith at this time was very much rules and regulations. It was law. And it wasn't so much, it wasn't motivated by love, it was motivated by duty and by works. Right? So Jesus understands where Nicodemus is coming from. He brings this Old Testament story to the forefront about the bronze snake being lifted up. And he says, Jesus says, the Son of Man... Is ready to do that. I'm sure Nicodemus is probably going, what? I don't know what that's all about. <laughs> then he goes on to verse 16, and he says this one that we all know so well. Jesus wants Nicodemus to know that the paradigm is no longer going to be about works and effort and, and all of the things that you know. He's going to say this. The new paradigm is it's all about love. And he says this. This is in the Passion Translation. He says, For this is how much God loved the world. Now, isn't that interesting? Just pause right there for a second. Jesus has not used the word love yet in this conversation. Right? He hasn't really, that hasn't been the topic of conversation. He's setting Nicodemus up for the new paradigm. The new concept of that it's not going to be like it was before. I'm going to take what was a, a precursor in Numbers 21 and the bronze snake being lifted up, and I'm actually going to be that. And the reason I'm going to do that is because, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave me, right? gave his only son. Let's read it in the Passion Translation. For this is how much God loved the world. He gave his one and only unique son as a gift. So now everyone who believes in him will never perish, but experience everlasting life. It's like he brought him into a whole new place. And then he goes on to verse 17. I love this. It says, this is actually, I actually love the second part as much if not more than verse 16. Because he says this, God did not send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. See, most of what Nicodemus knew was what? Judgment, condemnation, guilt, <laughs> you know, you know. Again, if you look at the the old covenant, in essence, your sins could only be forgiven once a year. When the chief priest or the high priest took the lamb in and slaughtered it for the sins of the people, you know, in the holy place. Just imagine what it'd be like to only feel like you had your sins forgiven once a year. How do you think that'd be a horrible, horrible way to live? Do you know what I'm saying? And here Jesus is now starting to institute this new thing. And he says, listen, Nicodemus, it's because God loves us. It's not about condemnation or guilt or shame. It's about, it's about love. And he didn't come to condemn. He came to be a savior. He's not a condemner. He's a savior. Amen. God did not send his son in the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be the Savior and to rescue it. Then there's just a couple of verses God brought to my mind. Second Peter 3 9 says this The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting, say it with me, anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, I think I'm gonna stand up here a second. I think that God, the devil has tried really hard to give God a bad name over the centuries. When most people talk about God or have, hear about God, they don't see him as Savior. They see him as condemner. <laughs> they see God as this, you know, oh, you did wrong and you got to, you know. 
So I'm thinking the devil's been pretty good at his job. I'm thinking it should be our job to help flip it. Because actually the devil has flipped places with God. <laughs> People uh, say things like, hey, I want to party in hell with all my friends. <laughs> like somehow the devil is the party man, he's the fun guy, and Jesus is the stern, be sure your sins will find you out guy. How many makes you kind of sick to your stomach that that flip and that transition has taken place in our world? And it's so cool because Jesus, right from the very beginning, says, listen, as we change this paradigm, we're going to change how, how it works from the very core of it. It's not going to be about shame and guilt and keeping the laws anymore. It's going to be about how much God loves you. It's going to be about how much he will sacrifice the most important thing in his life just so that people can be saved. And then he says, listen, just so we're clear, I'm not sending them into the world to condemn the world. <laughs> but I'm sending him to save the world. And it's so cool because Nicodemus is actually looking at the Savior. See, we're all talking about this conversation. Nicodemus was having the conversation. And he's looking right into the eyes of the Savior of the world. And you cannot tell me for one second that Nicodemus didn't look into the eyes of Jesus and it was a it was a life-changing, penetrating gaze into the eyes of love. Because what does Jesus say later? He says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you look in my eyes, that love that the Father says is for you, it's actually kind of gives you goosebumps a little bit to think about like Nicodemus looking right into his eyes like that. He says, this is how much God loves the world. He's going to send his son. Whew. Let's finish this up and we'll get going. Jesus moves on. I don't even know when Jesus repeats himself or stays with something a little while. He's trying to make a point. So isn't it interesting? He keeps going into the next verse 19, or uh, verse 18. He says, the God so loved the world that he gave, verse 16. Verse 17, he says, didn't come to condemn or judge the world. He stays with that theme for a whole other sentence and says this, So now, Nicodemus, are you listening to me? <laughs> so now there is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. <laughs> Do you remember when you first felt like your sins were forgiven? Do you guys remember that feeling? Yeah? Maybe it was at an altar or maybe, you know, whatever. How many of you remember that feeling? Just raise your hand. Do you remember that like, oh, they're gone. I just wonder what Nicodemus was feeling. Because he's had, as a religious ruler and a leader, he has literally lived his whole life with condemnation. He just has. That was the... That was the deal. The whole thing was set up for rules, regulation. How many of you know the Bible actually says this, that it's that's you're living under condemnation when you live under the law. And the Bible actually says that. You're living under condemnation when you live under the law. He's living under the law. His whole life has been under condemnation. His whole life experience of anything to do with God has to do with oh, <laughs> heaviness, that burden we were talking about earlier. Jesus looks at him again, and I can just imagine the, the look on Nicodemus' face. The look on his face. And he says this in verse 18. So now there is no longer any condemnation, right? What was going on in Nicodemus' head? Oh, my word. This is my way out. What? This is my way out. Do you think he had things like, could this be true? Could this really be a thing? Are you kidding me? There is no longer any condemnation for those who believe in him. <laughs> now, I'm sure Nicodemus, in his heart, whether he did it or not, was probably going, me, I'm in, I want this. <laughs> you know, like, I'm sure the reason we see Nicodemus two more times on the life journey of Jesus is because in his heart, right in this conversation, I'm sure he went, yeah, I don't get all that wind stuff. I don't get all that, you know, all that. I just understand the rebirth. How can I be? I don't know. But this rings a bell with me. I used to have a friend say, there's no joy like the joy of sins forgiven. Just You can't find a better joy than the joy of sins forgiven. No condemnation. Because they, and then he says this, 
Those who believe in me will have no condemnation. But the unbeliever, those who don't believe in me, already lives under condemnation because they do not believe in the name of God's beloved Son. Now, just so we're clear, Jesus just committed blasphemy in front of a religious leader. He calls himself God's beloved Son. Nobody gets to do that. That was against the rules. Right. In fact, that's one of the reasons why, if you remember at the at Jesus's trial and the, and the crucifix, all that, that was one of their accusations. He says he's God's son. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. So he's sitting in the living room or whatever, talking to Nicodemus, and Jesus goes, "Yep, yeah, I'm him. I'm that guy." And if you believe in me, all that condemnation is going to go away. But if you don't believe in me, you're already under condemnation. And I'm sure Nicodemus was going, I, I've lived my whole life under condemnation. I totally get that. Hmm. Whew. Verse 19. Jesus goes on. He's trying to... Now, remember, he's teaching and he's really bringing focus to the change in the paradigm, the change in the culture, the change in how things are going to be, the choice that's going to have to be made. Right? You can't... Folks, look at me. You can't live under both covenants. You will you will kill yourself trying. And I've seen people do it. They try to live under the old covenant with a bunch of rules and regulations. And then they try to still have grace and faith in Jesus alone for their salvation. You can't do it. It's impossible. In fact, it will literally tear you apart. Have you ever seen a really grumpy Christian? Christian? You know why they're grumpy? They're trying to live in two covenants. For the most part. You can't do it. So Jesus is really creating this. There's two different worlds. You can't, you know, you can't pick. It's like, you can almost imagine like a, like, have you ever seen a fissure in the earth, like where it breaks and it starts to move apart, like with an earthquake, you know? Just imagine having one foot on either side of the fissure as the earthquake's happening and the thing begins to move apart, you know? Like, ah, you know, what are you going to have to do? Pick a side and go with it. <laughs> you know, going to go old covenant? Great. Like, okay, and I'm not saying this in a bad way, but but we used to have a, a Messianic Jewish church would meet in our church. And there were some people that really got it. But there were some people in that group. I remember going to some of their services. And, and it was like they were trying to live in both covenants. Just can't do it. Yeah. And Jesus is presenting this to Nicodemus. He's saying, listen, Nicodemus, I know all you know is old covenant. But look, I'm going to be raised up. And it's going to be because of love. And it's going to be because of the Father. And you're going to have to choose. New world. Are you in or you out? Life. And then he goes on and he says this. And here is the basis for this judgment. The light of God has now come into the world. How many know that can't be undone? The light of God is in the world now. Christmas happened. (laughs) He came. He's here. Now it's going to be that split. It's going to start to happen. He says, he's now has come into the world. But the hearts of people love their darkness more than the light because they want the darkness to conceal their evil. I think King James is going to say, men love darkness for their deeds are evil. I think that's how it's phrased. How many of you know that's true? <laughs> you want to know how it's true? Because from the very first sin, Adam tried to hide from God. Remember that? Adam and Eve? It's true. And you know it's true, and I know it's true. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Verse 20 says, So the wicked hate the light and try to hide from it, for their lives are fully exposed in the light. But those who love the truth will come out into the light and will welcome its exposure. For the light will reveal that their fruitful works, fruitful works were produced by God. See, I think that he has, he's laying, I think that's, is that yours? Or? He's, he's presenting to Nicodemus everything that we get to experience in this life. Yeah. When he says this, it's um, love the truth from out the light and so on. Those that don't, 
of the darkness. It doesn't mean they're really bad, rotten, awful, terrible, mean people. It just means some of them are just across the line, and some are way across the line, i.e. Hitler, etc. And so you can be a really good person, but on the wrong side of the line. Yeah, but I'm, and I'm sure you're not saying this, but we most of us in this room know that a decision has to be made. Right. What camp are you going to be in? Are you going to be in light? Or are you going to be in darkness? Right. Yeah. And you can choose light. You can choose the light. It's right. not chosen for you sure. already. Right. You know, it's interesting. When light comes into something, a couple things happen. Number one, darkness disappears, right? But how many of you know that, like, let's say you have a candle in your house. Like, right now we don't have any electricity. So if it doesn't come back at my house by tonight, we're going to have candles, you know. But how many of you know that part, if you have a light over here uh, and other parts are dark, you you want to come to the light, you know what I'm saying? Like, is there any worse feeling than complete darkness? You know, that thought, like, in your house, you know, like this used to walk in terror when my kids were younger because they would leave a Legos out or step, step off. <laughs> oh, man, it was worse. Now they're all past that, so we're good. But, but there's, and, and I would say this, and you probably heard this before too, the default setting for mankind is what? Darkness. As Romans says, many of you are familiar, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Whether they're just over the line or way over the line, it doesn't matter. In this, in this sense, it's darkness. And you have to make a choice to move from darkness to light. And that is so cool that he's doing this with Nicodemus because Nicodemus only knows one way and now Jesus is presenting a whole new thing. And it is pretty cool because it's foreign. It's, it's not new. You have to say yes to the light. All right, I want to do a couple things before we finish up. Why don't you guys... Uh, I'm going to have the worship team come back up. I want to, I want to just do this. I want us to, uh, if you would stand. If you want to stand, we're going to... One of the things that Jesus, when he got to the end of this, let's see this, Jesus' teaching is at the beginning of everything, right? This is the beginning of his ministry. He's laying out the beginning of the covenant, the new covenant. When he gets to the end, he's just about to be go to the cross and, and die. What does he say to his disciples? Do you remember? As he's presenting them the elements, he says, This is my blood, my, my, my blood and the wine, and my body in the broken bread. And he says, This is the new covenant. It's like he's bringing it to fruition. He's, as he's gone through the three years, he comes back and he's about to be the bronze snake lifted up that he was talking to Nicodemus about. And it's interesting because Jesus says, on that night, he says this. He says, do this, what we're about to do today. What, what is the phrase? Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you know that Jesus does not want us to ever forget exactly what life is all about now? Right? Can I encourage you with something? If you're really going through a hard time and struggling, I would encourage you to uh, to take communion in your in your house. Because I think communion helps us do one thing. It helps us remember exactly what this is all about and which covenant <laughs> I'm choosing to live in. Communion doesn't have to be just here with us. We've been doing a little bit of this at our in our house, where we take where we take communion together as a family. I think sometimes walking by faith and when we go through struggles, taking communion can actually help us remember and say, "Lord, you know what? This is all about you. You know, this is you, Lord. I trust you." I'm living in the light. I'm not living in darkness. I'm, I'm in the new covenant, God. And based on your love, I'm not trying to strive and do effort and live in my own. 
Can I tell you, worry and fear and anxiety is old covenant stuff. I believe it is. I'm telling you, the look on Nicodemus' face when Jesus said, there's therefore now no condemnation, right? Paul says it later in Romans, right? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just think God wants us to live in his new covenant, man, in his blood. Hallelujah. My hope is built.